Hello, I am Jason, the creator of The Grey Rooms. Before this episode, I wanted to mention our patrons. We always try to deliver a high-quality product for your listening pleasure at no cost to you. It is rather costly to produce each episode. (laughs) But we value so very much, and thank you for supporting us thus far. If you would like to financially support this podcast, you can do so by heading over to patreon.com forward slash the gray rooms and, you know, join today. It, anything is greatly appreciated. I would like to personally thank those who do show their support financially and allow us to continue to produce at such a high level. Our patrons and the sponsors of this episode are Rachel Lamb, Debbie Furr, J.M. Scherf, Kathleen Clyde, Charlotte Norup, Alexei Gladilovich, Hale Scherf, Amy Nikolai, Maria Herrera, John Dillavu, Austin Furman, Scott Savino, Arthur Unk, John Grills, Adam, Stephen, Jim Powell, Lucas Healy Hibbard, Kelly Bear, Mary Wynn, Sergio Saucedo, Brooks Bigley, Kaylee Tolls, John, Justin Thulu, Sarah Ruth Thomas, Scotty, Elizabeth Dowell, Patrick Stewart, Victoria Wan, and Kelly Fenner. Thank you so much for your belief in my dream and our vision, and for helping make this all possible. Really, thank you. And now, on to the episode. Our stories may contain graphic or sensitive content that may be disturbing to some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. You wake on a hard, cold floor. So cold, it burns your skin. The air smells of sulfur and ash. Your head throbs. Your mouth is dry. You have no idea how you got here. Panic sets in. Fear becomes terror. What have you done? What brought you to this place? It doesn't matter, because now you belong to the Grey Rooms.
Get out of my head! The army of screams coming from my station Bravo was silenced. As I woke up on the floor, I arose to my feet and expected to hear Bob or see some kind of deranged prank to taunt me. It appeared as if I was by myself. Hello? I don't know why I asked. The truth was that this emptiness was unnerving. It reminded me of the first time in the rooms. Bob? I didn't know what to do. I, I could see the keys lying there on the table. I could see the doors. One was an aluminum screen door. The other was round. It reminded me of the movie with short little people that had furry feet. You had your, your fun, Bob. Ha <laughs> I get it. All those voices in my head, now nothing, ever. Great joke. Y you can laugh at me now. I, I give up. I pulled the chair back and took a seat. The room wasn't as quiet as I thought. I took a moment to close my eyes and listen. I heard drops of water falling. I never really took the time to investigate them. What was the source of the water? Where was I? I could hear the flicker of the light above me. It sparked violently in its glass prison, desperate to get out. I know how it felt. Rats. I, I never saw them, but I always heard them scurrying around behind the walls. It probably wasn't so hard for Bob to catch one and put it in a cage for me to discover when all this began. After experiencing the trenches of that war, though, I, I don't think I could ever handle being close to one. It was so cold here. It was cold in that last door that I witnessed as well, but not like this. The cold here was unnatural. I could taste it. Along with a bunch of other feelings that I didn't know were palatable to the tongue. Fear. Anxiety. Desperation. And then I realized that, outside of that obnoxious ding of a light bulb, there was something entirely different. Something I felt I had long forgotten. Calm.
Something must have happened, I decided. Maybe Bob slept in and was rushing off to work to torture his old pal Raymond. Maybe he had suddenly grown ill and taken a sick day. It was a funny thought. Almost crazy how it made me smile. But what if something happened to Bob? What if something happened and he wasn't coming? Ever? What what if this was it? All there was. If I chose a door, what would happen? Stop it, Raymond. Cut it out. Everything is fine, man. Everything is fine. Calm down. Calm down, brother. Count to ten. Nine. Eight. Seven. Six. Five. Four. Three, two, one. Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh shit! Oh shit! The light went out. I sat there as still as I could and wanted to throw up on the floor because of how fast my heart was pounding in my chest. This place was terrifying on a good day. Now... Bob! Hello? Bob, you answer me, goddammit! Bob, you son of a bitch! Jesus Christ! Bob, Bob, get me out of here! There was nothing. I couldn't see anything. I knew the keys were in front of me. I knew the doors were against the wall. I could go for them, but then what? I'd die and end up back here. What's going on, Bob? Help me! Bob! I thought it was madness at first. I, I tried to calm myself and think rationally. It, it was the wind. I often felt a breeze through the room. A draft that kept me uncomfortably cold despite the prison uniform I was forced to wear. But it grew louder. And louder. I felt something brush up against my foot. It was warm and dry. Alive. I wanted to scream. I bit my finger from doing so. 
I tasted my blood and winced as I could hear the hiss of a snake. I had no idea how large it was, but I, I felt the table move as it pushed it away with its body. My mouth gaped in a silent scream, and I slowly tried to plant my feet onto the ground so I could escape. The snake was searching for me now. I managed to get out of the chair, and I listened to it fall to the ground. I stretched my arms forward and felt for the wall. I tried to remember which wall this was and orient myself as to where I needed to go. I had the keys. I just needed to get to one of the doors. And then what? I thought. What was I going to do when I ended right back where I started? self-preservation. No matter what chance I had, I had to take it. I immediately turned to my left and ran with my hands out for the wall. I could hear the snake hit the spot where my back had been just seconds before. Now, I had to run forward towards the doors. My fingernails dug into the concrete floor. I tried to pry myself up as the snake was wrapping itself around my body. I felt its tongue flicker through my hair and across my neck. I, I shivered at the sensation of air flowing from its nostrils as it examined me. I was trying to drag myself over to the doors. I, I felt my hand scrape one of the keys and quickly snatched it up. I had no weapon. No means to defend myself. What happened if I died here? Was that it? I couldn't let that happen. I had to get out. There was more to life than this. There had to be. I continued to struggle as the creature crushed my ribs and lungs. I stretched my arm out as far as I could and felt something cold and metallic. I was cracking out. I tasted blood as it bubbled up from my mouth. My nose, too, was bleeding. It ran down my chin, and I heard the sound of it patter on the floor. I couldn't feel my legs. 
I couldn't feel anything. The door, it was opening. Behind it was a warm yellow light that stung my eyes. The light, the snake was afraid of it. I was a ball of crumpled paper dying on the floor. But I felt drawn into the open doorway. This room, it seemed to tell me, was room 812. It had a name. Cell Block B. My life was just about ready to completely fade when I heard the door close behind me and take me through the void. I woke up. I knew instantly that I wasn't in my own bed, where I'd fallen asleep the night before. The surface beneath me was hard and cold. I shivered, realizing that I was uncovered and that a chill had set into my bones. I opened my eyes, slowly. A gray, blank wall greeted me. It wasn't my bedroom wall. Scratched into the plaster right by my nose in jagged, angry letters were the words, Fuck Corbett and his crew. I wondered idly who Corbett was. Then with a slow, horrified comprehension, I woke up fully to my new reality. I wasn't in my bed. I wasn't in my house. I was somewhere else. Somewhere I didn't know. A place with an unfamiliar, stark atmosphere. A place filled with a soundscape I didn't recognize. I stood up, heart racing in my chest. A flash of dark red caused me to look down at myself. I was wearing a set of what looked like surgical scrubs, loose-fitting, deep crimson. I was barefoot, too. What the fuck? Where the hell was I? Actually, that part was fairly easy to figure out. I was in a small, blank room, bare walls, bare floor, simple, hard bed. In the corner was a toilet and a sink, stainless steel, concreted in. Most importantly, there was a door. A door made of bars. A prison cell door. I was in a jail cell. <laughs> I panicked and rushed over to the door. Help! I shouted, rattling the bars. I could only see corridor outside of the cell. No people. I was alone in a fucking prison cell, and I had no idea how I'd gotten there. Help! I cried again, hoping someone, anyone would come. I'm not supposed to be in here. There's been a mistake. Help! A deep, angry voice replied. Your cell door is open, Akriti. Stop fucking shouting. I froze. I was so relieved to hear another human voice that I almost cried. Hello? 
I called out cautiously. Then, Who's there? My voice echoed off the concrete surfaces. McCready, stop being a fucking idiot. Just open your cell door. I did as I was told. I gripped the bars of my cell door and pushed. It swung open with a soft squeaking sound. The hinges were spotted with rust and needed oiling. I gulped and put one naked, cold foot out of the cell. I was definitely in a prison. Cells stretched out to either side of me, a seemingly endless row of cells disappearing into darkness in both directions, giving the impression that they went on into infinity. There were no windows, only neon strip lights that flickered and buzzed overhead. Stenciled onto the wall a little way along were faded letters. They spelled out, Cell Block B. What the fuck was I doing here? My palms began to sweat, and panic rose up inside me again. I put my head in my hands. Oh, fuck. I panted, my breath coming fast and shallow. Oh, fuck. Quit freaking out, McCready. It's getting old now. The voice was coming from the cell next door to mine. I turned in its direction and saw a large man lying on a bed that was identical to the one I'd woken up in. He was looking at me with a strange expression on his face. Irritation, but also something else. Familiarity. Recognition. Like he knew me. Like he was expecting my reactions. I asked the only thing my poor, frightened mind could come up with. Where are my shoes? I whimpered, trembling like a small child. He rolled his eyes. You don't get shoes on death row, McCready. Fuck, don't tell me I gotta tell you the rules all over again. I stared at him, brain trying to connect the dots. The man called me McCready. Was my name McCready? I rubbed my forehead. I think... Yeah, I think so. I couldn't quite remember, but... I checked the name tag stitched to my scrubs. Sure enough, it read McCready. Do you know me? I asked, keeping myself behind the bars of his door. This motherfucker was huge. He looked like everyone's idea of a bad time. A skinhead covered in tattoos, one of which I was sure was a neo-Nazi symbol. Heavily muscled, huge gut, massive meaty hands. If he'd been allowed any jewelry, he would have worn gold, I was sure of it. Gold chains, gold sovereign rings, gold earrings. <laughs> he chuckled and folded his arms behind his head, leaning back on his bed. Yeah, I know you, you crazy fuck. You're McCready, and you pull this stunt every now and then. Wake up, forget everything, freak out. It's a crying shame, really. The warden should put you out of your misery. I tried to process this and failed. I've been here before? My voice broke. This was too much. Even if it was a nightmare, it was too real, too awful. I wanted my bed. I wanted my house. I wanted to wake up and see the sun. 
You've been here for ten years, McCready. Ten years too long in my book. They should have killed you years ago, you fucking loon. I sank my head into my hands again. This isn't real, I said, shaking my head. This isn't happening. Yeah, <laughs> you say that a lot. The tattooed man said, staring up at the ceiling with a bored look on his face. He continued, the experienced man imparting his wisdom. Still, you got a better deal than most of us. Jones has been in here 35 years, and the warden just loves visiting him, on account of all those kitties he kidnapped and killed. <laughs> the tattooed man chuckled, a bleak noise. I lifted my head. Were there other people incarcerated in here with us? The thought gave me a sliver of hope. Jones? Tattooed man pointed to his right. Cell 115, he said, and something gleamed in his eyes. I moved along the corridor. I needed someone else to talk to, someone else to corroborate the story. I ignored the part about Jones being a child killer. I needed answers. I didn't care who I got them from. I started counting the numbers next to the cell doors. So far, every other cell I walked past, except for my neighbors, was empty. I kept walking, the oppressive, shadowy atmosphere of the prison weighing down on me. A slow creaking, rhythmic noise filled the air as the numbers counted down to 115. It was like the sound a rocking chair makes on a wooden floor, but that... No, that wasn't quite it. It beat out a constant tattoo for me to follow as I made my way up the hall towards Jones's cell. It scared me shitless, but I was also drawn to it, despite myself. My Adam's apple was stuck high up in my throat, and my mouth grew dry, parchment dry, with rancid anticipation. 120. 119. My feet padded softly along the cold, concrete floor. I matched my steps to the creeks, focusing on the rhythm instead of my fear. 118. 117. The creaking grew louder still, and I realized it was the sound of something swinging, like a pendulum. I hovered next to cell 117, fearful of what I was about to see. 117. 116. I took another step forward. Cell 115. I peered cautiously through the bars of the cell, and there my breath left my body. Hanging from the ceiling was a corpse. It swung from a rope noose, backwards and forwards, the rope creaking against the iron hook mounted in the cell ceiling. The rope passed through the eye of the ceiling hook and down again to the cell floor, where it was tied to a metal loop that was anchored into the concrete. The loop looked like an old, permanent fixture. It looked as if it had been put there intentionally for this sole purpose, to hang a corpse from the ceiling like a pig's carcass in the butcher's. Creak, creak, creak. 
The inmate's face was bloated, gray, long deceased. His eyes were rolled back into his head, and the whites were no longer white, but a sickly red tinged with the yellow of death. Dried brown spittle coated his chin. His tongue poked out between wizened, shrunken lips, and it was black, swollen, like a slug. But it wasn't the sight of his dead face that filled me with terror, freezing me to the spot where I stood, my face pressed against the bars of cell 115. It was his naked body, which swayed like a grisly pendant through the air. It glistened wet and dark in the artificial light. It had been flayed. Long strips of the man's leathery skin hung from the body like streamers, brushing the floor as the corpse swayed in its eternal arc. A string of innards coiled downwards from where a large gash had been torn in the man's belly, loops of twisted viscera pooling onto the concrete below. I whimpered in terror and backed away slowly. The corpse's eyelids fluttered slowly, and as I watched, horrified, the whites of the eyes turned to dark, black, impossibly wide pupils. The mouth moved, trying to make words. The throat, constricted by the rope noose, worked ceaselessly to produce a sound. I couldn't take it anymore. I bolted away, running back to the comparative safety of my own cell. As I did so, I heard an aged, tortured voice follow me down the corridor. Warden's coming. It rasped, and it was thick with agony. Warden's coming. Better hide. I ran, and the horrible cries echoed after me as I did so. Warden's coming. Warden's coming real soon. I raced back the way I'd come and hurled myself into my cell slamming the door shut behind me. I jumped onto my hard bed and drew my knees up to my chin, panting and shaking and listening. After a few moments, I realized I couldn't hear Jones anymore. I began to shudder in relief. From my cell next door, the tattooed man chuckled heartily. Oh, man. <laughs> he laughed. <laughs> and I could imagine his vast, inked belly shaking with mirth. Every fucking time. You fall for that one every fucking time. It's like you've heard Jones get tortured almost a thousand times over. But every time you forget and you trot down there to look, and when you see him, he makes you shit your pants. <laughs> he continued laughing, long and hard, eventually winding down. <laughs> oh, man. I never get tired of that one. <laughs> the thought that I was trapped in some unbreakable cycle of amnesia and fear and bewilderment was unbearable. What the fuck is this place? I said, on the verge of tears once again. This? Tattooed man snorted. 
This is Cell Block B, my friend. It turns out that Tattooed Man had a name, just like me and Jones had names. He was called Fergus. Whether that was his last or first name, I'll never know. I didn't much care at the time, either. He was a violent, ugly man with a violent, ugly past, which he recounted to me gleefully over the next few hours. The fights he'd been in. The stores he'd robbed. And finally, the wealthy family he'd burglarized and murdered when things had gone awry. He'd taken out the dad first with a rolling pin. And then the mom. And then the two kids in order of age. I lay in my cell, burning with hatred for him, but also with one question repeating itself over and over in my head as I listened. What the fuck did I do to end up in here with someone like him? Why was I in prison with a murderer? On death row? What crime had I committed to end up in a godforsaken hole like this? Why couldn't I remember anything? I obsessed over these questions, but no answers came. My despair blossomed inside of me and became all-consuming. I was trapped, despite my cell door being unlocked. I was trapped by my own indecision and fear and amnesia. Eventually, the prison lights dimmed. I took this to mean it was nighttime and that we were supposed to sleep. Fergus stopped talking. Thank fuck. And after a while, his loud, fleshy snores rolled around the cell block. I lay awake, sweating and yet cold, body tensed, listening to the unfamiliar sounds of the prison. Fergus, snoring like a pig in a trough. Jones, swinging on his rope. Creak, creak, creak. Dead, and yet not somehow. The clicks and ticks the overhead lights made as the bulbs cooled. Other noises I couldn't identify. At one point, what sounded like a rat or a mouse scuttled down the corridor and past my cell. I twitched constantly, fear coursing through me. But eventually my exhaustion grew stronger than my terror. I felt my body grow heavy, my breathing slow, and I was just about to reluctantly fall asleep when the warden came for Fergus. First, there were footsteps. Heavy, loud, and purposeful. I knew straight away that it must be the warden. Whoever was walking towards us was wearing shoes, boots maybe. None of the inmates were allowed to wear shoes. These feet had thick soles attached to them. Souls that struck the ground with force. Then there was another sound. Something metal, being dragged or scraped along the floor. It sounded like a knife against a plate, only worse. It grew louder and more unbearable as the footsteps approached, and I cowered in my bed. A powerful voice broke through the dark. I knew immediately that this must be the warden. Wake up, Fergus. It's your time. The voice boomed around the prison, ringing in my ears. Fergus stopped snoring, and I heard him wake 
sit upright on his cot. There was a pause, and then he said in a defiant drawl, Fuck you, you piece of shit. I'm not going to repent. The warden laughed, and it was awful. <laughs> I hoped you'd say that, he said, and I heard the door in Fergus's cell swing open. Then, the screaming began. The warden left me alone, but visited Jones and Fergus often. Their cries of pain filled my days and nights, which I soon lost track of. The lights went on and then went out. Occasionally we were brought food and water, but most of the time, between warden visits, we were left alone. At times, the solitude and the silence was almost worse than the screaming. Almost. But not quite. The warden stood at my cell door. Hello, MacReady. And the bottom fell out of my stomach. <laughs> he towered above the height of any mortal man. He wore a black peaked cap that shaded his eyes from the strip lights overhead. It made him look like he had only half a face. His arms were bare beneath short sleeves and thickly corded with muscle. He wore enormous black hobnailed boots with steel toe caps. In one impossibly huge hand, he carried a long pole which ended in a wicked meat hook. A hook that was coated with dried blood. Around his neck, he wore a garland of rope, a long length of it coiled up many times over. I remembered Jones's flayed corpse hanging from an identical length of this rope and knew suddenly what the warden's intentions were. <laughs> I hustled backwards on my ass, but there was nowhere to go. He stooped, almost bending in half at the waist, and entered my cell. There, he seemed to fill every available space and soak up every morsel of light. He radiated black, malignant dread. He extended an arm, and then the index finger on his right hand. His fingernail was black and ragged, encrusted with filth and gore. He curled the finger, and I realized he was beckoning to me. Come here. He crooned evilly, and I wanted to die. Oh, how I wanted to die. Frozen in dread, I did nothing but sit and stare at him, wide-eyed. The meat hook looked wickedly sharp. When I didn't do as he commanded, he whipped the pole around and cracked it into the side of my head, which exploded in pain and white light. I began to sob. I said, come here, the warden repeated, and I staggered to my feet. He threw his arms around me, quick as a cobra. Before I knew what was happening, the rope was about my body, but he wasn't going to hang me from my neck like he'd hung Jones. Instead, he hogtied me, legs together, arms behind my back, legs tied to my arms, 
head pulled back in agony, my prone form forced into an unnatural arch by the rope. He did it quickly, like a hunter gutting a stoat, hoisting me about as if I were a child. He fed the rope through a loop in the ceiling, the loop which was like the loop in Jones's cell, the loop that was in every cell. Then the warden pulled, and my body rose in the air and hung, spinning gently, suspended face down. He tied off the rope using the anchor in the cell floor. Then he looked at me, and I cringed. For the first time, we were at eye level. He removed his cap and pushed his face close to mine so that we were nose to nose. His eyes had fire in them and burned a bright, insatiable orange. I saw my destiny in them. He smiled and licked my cheek like a dog, his stinking, film-coated tongue dragging on my skin and making me gag. Do you repent? He said, and licked the other side of my face. His saliva stuck to my cheek, and the skin there began to sizzle. I howled. His teeth were blackened, rotting in his livid gray gums. I don't know what I did! I shouted, both cheeks now aglow with pain. Maybe this'll help, said the warden, and suddenly a pit opened underneath me. And in the pit, a deep red glow blossomed and rose, and heat pillowed out towards me, and there was fire, hot red fire from the bowels of hell itself. I screamed and screamed, like Fergus and Jones before me, and I screamed some more. And then I remembered. Another life. Before all this, My twin brother and I, standing side by side on the edge of an old quarry that was now a lake, looking down at the water, spitting over the edge, watching the gobbets of phlegm plummet down and make tiny ripples on the surface, laughing, sharing a cigarette and then a bottle of cheap beer. <laughs> the sun beating down on us from a blue summer sky. Bugs nipping at our ankles. Skin turning red in the heat. We were 18. We were kings. We had our whole lives ahead of us. Well, one of us did. I remember walking through the forest, trampling under the shaded trees, exploring new trails, carving our initials onto the trunk of an oak tree. I remembered letting him walk ahead of me. I remembered fingering the cold, 
heavy metal object I'd hidden in the waistline of my pants. I remembered firing at the back of his head, just to see what would happen. The report of the gunshot rolling around the woods. The kick of it in my hands. His skull didn't explode like I'd hoped, but a small burst of red splattered across the surrounding tree trunks, and he fell to the ground, face first. I remembered wanting to see what he looked like on the inside. He was my twin. Whatever he looked like must be the same as what lived inside my own body. I would finally figure out who I was. If only I could see inside my brother's body. I remember a knife and struggling to cut through bristle and sinew and bone. I remember holding my brother's head in my hands and throwing it up into the air, catching it again like a football. I remembered. Oh, I remembered. The fire grew and consumed me head first, wrapping itself around my torso, climbing up to my knees. I am pain. I am suffering. I am damned. Do you remember now? The warden leered, and my skin began to bubble and blacken, the smell of it rich and acrid in my nostrils. The pain was so great I couldn't answer. The fire roared around my ears, which were beginning to melt. The warden prodded me with a meat hook. I said, do you remember now, you piece of shit? A keening wail came from my mouth. I remember. I tried to say, but everything around me was heat and curling, licking, tickling flames. And behind all this, the warden began to laugh and laugh and laugh. And I knew that I was in hell. I woke in a chair, padded, comfortable. Bright strip lights glared down at me from overhead. There were straps around my wrists, my ankles, a pillow behind my head. My eyes rolled wildly, looking around for the shadow of the warden. He was no longer there. I wasn't in my cell. I was in a clean, sterile room. One wall was made of glass. Beyond that, several rows of people sat, looking at me. After a moment, I recognized my mother. 
She stared at me with red, raw eyes, and then averted her gaze. Witnesses. A nurse, a kind, carefully neutral expression arranged on her face, placed a hand on my shoulder. She held a syringe in her hand. She gently pinched the skin in the fold of my arm where it bent at the elbow. She looked me in the eyes and smiled sadly. Then she depressed the plunger. Behind her, a priest read out the last rites. Something cold snaked through my veins. I'm not sorry, I said in a heavy voice as the lethal injection took hold of me. My eyelids fluttered and my limbs trembled. My tongue felt thick, swollen. Still, I persisted. I'm glad I killed him. He needed to die. I needed to see inside him to see if he was like me. I thought he would be like me. My arms and legs began to twitch and spasm. Those were my final words, my lasting legacy. They didn't make any sense, but then nothing I'd done with my time on this earth made any sense either. The words certainly didn't comfort my mother, who sobbed uncontrollably into her handkerchief. Minutes later, I died. The people gathered around me looked like they had taken no pleasure in my death. They wore faces full of weary resignation, like I was a meal they'd tired of the taste of. Outside, the sun shone, a clean white light that could wash me free of sin, if I would only repent. And a tree grew nearby, digging its roots down into the brackish earth of a forest near a quarry. Two sets of initials carved indelibly into the bark. Cell Block B, written by Gemma Amore. You can follow Gemma on Twitter at many little words. Gemma also is part of a new podcast that we are pretty fond of here at the Gray Rooms. You may recognize some of the voices and authors associated with that podcast from the No Sleep Podcast and the Gray Rooms Podcast. That podcast is Calling Darkness. Stop on by their Twitter for a link to their pilot episode and for more information about this wonderful new product. It's been really great to get to know everybody that is associated with this and to work with a lot of them. They are exceptionally talented. I've heard it, and I think you're going to be happy to hear it too. So Calling Darkness. Check them out on Twitter at Calling Podcast. McCready was voiced by Graham Rowett. You can follow Graham on Twitter at Graham NY. Fergus was voiced by Warren Richardson. Feel free to stop by his website 
www.warrenrichardsonvoiceovers.com. Both Jones and the Warden. No, not our Warden, but the Warden was voiced by Alastair Mackey. Feel free to follow Alastair on Twitter at Alastair Mackey. The Raymond story was written by Brian Black. You can reach out to Brian on Twitter at Darth Chair. This Raymond episode was performed by me, Jason Wilson. You can follow me on Twitter at Audio Torment. Audio design and scoring was also by me. The artwork for this episode was by Cassie Pertit. The additional artwork was by Brooks Bigley. You can follow him on Twitter at Brooks underscore Bigley and Graham Rowett. Feel free to stop on by our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash the Grey Rooms pod and join our emotional support group. That's where everybody goes to kind of get things off their chest. And while you're there, ask about our Discord channel too. We have one of those. And uh, so far, it's been pretty fun. We always have the website, www.thegrayrooms.com. Stop on by there to get more information about cast, get more information about the podcast in general, and you can also go to our store, tpublic.com forward slash the gray rooms. Go ahead and grab yourself something. We do have a discount going right now, and we would always love to get more of your support. We do deliver this podcast for free for you to listen to. However, it is not free for us to produce. If you are satisfied, if you like what we do here, please stop on by Patreon. Give us a little support. For as little as $2 a month, you do get early access to all episodes, patron-exclusive posts, and it is always a growing experience. This is our first time around the block, so obviously things will change, and we need you to help us. So patreon.com forward slash the gray rooms. Anything would be wonderful. Again, thank you ever so much. Also, you can find us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash the gray rooms pod and on Instagram. Instagram.com forward slash the Grey Rooms Podcast. We are completely grateful for all of you who have taken the time to listen to us and helped us reach about 93 to 94,000 downloads by this time. And we are only on the seventh episode of the season, so we have plenty more to deliver. Yeah, a lot of good things coming from this. Once again, thank you ever so much to all of you for what is happening. It's directly related to you. And with that being said, we'll talk to you soon. And we'll see you in two weeks.